Well, let me, if I would, invite you to take your Bible this morning and find 1 Corinthians in chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if I've not had the opportunity to meet you, let me introduce myself. My name is Alan, and I'm one of the pastors here at Downtown Church, and I love just the worship that we experienced this morning and the reminder uh, of making room for the Lord, right? Jesus doesn't want to be a part of your life. Jesus wants to be your life. And our hope, our prayer every week, that as we gather together, as we worship together, we experience the presence of the living God, we open His Word together, we invite Him to speak into our lives, reminding us that He is Savior, He is Lord. Again, He he doesn't want to be a part of our life, but He wants to be your life and my life together. Uh, Let me just give a a brief update. I know it's probably been a couple of weeks. Uh, Several of you asked this morning about my wife, Kathy. Kathy had uh, back surgery about three, maybe three and a half weeks ago. And uh, she was released from the doctor this past week where she can drive. She can't, she can't, lift anything or she's still very limited in, in what she can do, uh, but she's out and about now and every day uh, just better and better, less and less pain. So many of you had been praying for her and she's actually this morning at the praise, on the praise team at the Westmobile campus, the Cottage Hill campus, so, uh, so very grateful that she is out and about. So just want to give a, a, a word of thanks for your prayers and want to give you that, that quick update. You probably saw with the sermon bumper there that we are in this teaching series called Love Is, and we're making our way through one of the most famous chapters in all of the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13 is often referred to as the love chapter. If you've attended many weddings, 1 Corinthians 13 and a portion of that is often read at weddings. Now, we generally, when we hear it read at weddings, we're thinking that it's, uh, it's speaking of romantic love. A love between a husband and a wife. But as Paul wrote that letter to the church at Corinth, that's not what he had in mind. In fact, the church at Corinth 2,000 years ago, the people there were having a hard time getting along. There was some arguing. There were some very strong personalities. In fact, what was happening in that first church, the church at Corinth, is that uh, those strong personalities and those believers were exercising different spiritual gifts. Some were exercising the gift of faith and some the gift of knowledge, some the gift of healing, some of the gift of, uh, of speaking in tongues. And there was some debate. There was some arguing going on about which gifts are greater. And there were some saying, well, you know, I, I'm more prominent or I have, I, I'm of more importance because of the gifts that I have and the gifts that I'm using. And so there's creating this division in the church. And so Paul is writing to the church and he says, listen, regardless of the miracles, regardless of the gifts, if you miss the greatest virtue, if you miss or if you lack love, then all is in vain. You've gained nothing because what you need to understand that love is greater than the miracles. Love is everything. Love changes everything. That virtue of love is the one virtue that lasts forever. And ultimately what Paul says to the church is that, look, let me show you something better. And last week we talked about as the introduction to the message, we talked about the fact that Paul is teaching about your gifts and about your talents and about your abilities, but love is greater. If you lack love, 
then you lack the most important thing. Now, what he does in the middle of the chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, the very middle of the chapter, Paul actually gives kind of a definition of love. And I want you and I to spend a little time this morning and next week looking at how Paul defines, how he defines love. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13, and if you're a first-time guest here at Downtown Church, one of the things that we do in this initial reading of the Scripture that we're going to study, we stand together in the honor of the reading of God's Word. So if you'd stand with me, I'm going to be reading out loud. Uh, We're going to have the Scriptures there on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, again, Paul's writing to the church, beginning in verse number 4. He's defining love. And what does he say? Love is patient. And kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice as wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. May God bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated. And so what you and I just read are 15, 1, 5, 15 characteristics that Paul gives about love. And what we're going to do this week and next week is that we're going to look at these 15 characteristics. This morning, we're going to take five of them. And it's kind of a a negative sense that Paul uses there. He kind of gives us the negative or the lack of, when there is a lack of love. He says, love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way. There's other translation renders that love is not self-seeking. And so as we think about these five characteristics this morning of what love is or what love does not do, I want us to I want us to kind of uh, summarize those five characteristics with this, what Paul is saying. Paul is saying love is being self-forgetful. Paul is saying that love is being self-forgetful. That little word there, self-forgetful, it's kind of, a, it's kind of an old-fashioned term, but it's an, it's an awesome term, self-forgetful. Forgetful, And what self-forgetful means is that the focus is not on me. I'm no longer putting the focus on me. You see, humility, I love this classic definition of humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less, as in less often. Life is best lived when we don't have all of that energy focused on ourselves, but we're free to focus on God and others. And so what Paul is saying in these brief words here about love is that true love, when love is present in your life as a Christian, as a believer, you're less focused on yourself and you're more focused on God and others. So here's what I want you and I to do. I want us to think, first of all, as Paul is describing, what it looks like when you need love, when you're lacking love. Let's think about it as the lack of love, all right? I need more love when, number one, I can't enjoy your success. 
I need love. I need to be a loving Christian, a loving believer when I can't enjoy your success. That's what he means there, by the way, in verse number four, when he says love does not envy. Love does not envy. The, the, the Greek word there is the word zealous. Zealous. It literally means to burn or to boil. So here's what Paul's saying. Paul is saying that when you are so envious of someone, that when someone succeeds, when someone gets that promotion, when someone makes that team, when someone gets that scholarship, when, when someone else experiences success and it burns you up, that if that's the case, then you're needing love. You need the love of God in you and working through you. And that was happening in the church. Think of it, an example would be this. Uh, Joseph in the Bible, in the Old Testament. The Bible says because Joseph was the favorite of the father's sons, that even the father gave him as a gift that multicolored coat, that the Bible says that his brothers burned with envy. They were so jealous. They were so envious of Joseph. That's what it means. But when you love, you're, you're rejoicing in the success of others. And so think about what was happening in the church at Corinth. There was a lot of envy in the church. They were jealous of one another's spiritual gifts. If someone had a spiritual gift that was more prominent or maybe more, more, uh, more prominent, then there was an envy. There was a, a jealousy. And Paul is saying, listen, love doesn't do that. Love doesn't envy. It doesn't burn with jealousy. That's not what love does. And if you're truly understanding who you are in Christ and you have received his love, therefore his love is flowing through you, then you're not envious. You're not uh, jealous, but you can in fact rejoice when someone else succeeds. Think of it when, um, when maybe someone is single and they've been single, but they don't like being single, but their other single friend falls in love, and there's a, there's a bit of envy because they found love. They found a boyfriend. They found a girlfriend, and I've yet to find it. Um, there's someone who is uh, striving to be successful as an athlete, and their friend, I mean, listen, all that I want is somehow maybe to, be, to get a scholarship at some community college, right? But then my friend, my fellow teammate, gets the offer from Nick Saban to play in Tuscaloosa. And so it happens in different ways. It may be a, a single person in a relationship. It may be an athlete. It may be someone in business. And that coworker gets the promotion. They get, uh, uh, maybe my, my friend gets the new house. And so all of these are tests. These are tests of envy. And again, what Paul is teaching here is that when we have love, and when we are loving, we're genuinely able to celebrate and be happy for that person. Now, is it easy? No, it's not easy. I mean, we often just insert our egos, our own pride, and it's tough. But when you need more love, you need more love, number one, when I can't enjoy your success. I also need more love when I can't get over my own importance. 
when I can't get over my own importance. And, and Paul uses actually three words here. He says, love does not boast. Got to underline that word. It is not arrogant. Got to underline that word. Or rude. You ought to underline that word. Love does not boast. You, you ever caught yourself boasting? Caught yourself just needing the spotlight? Needed the attention on you? I mean, if you look at your social media account, your Facebook or your Instagram, I mean, every single picture is about you. I mean, you don't want to be missed. You want to make sure people are always looking at you. They're thinking about you. And if you accomplish anything, man, you're going to post that. You're going to talk about that. I found that often, not only in social media, are those people who have to have always the focus on them. I mean, there is a picture of themselves at least once every single day. Have you ever been around those people when you're having a conversation and uh, you're talking about something and then immediately they're going to shift the conversation talking about them? I've discovered in the last few weeks when people often ask me about Kathy, and I'll say, well, the, the doctor had to do this particular surgery, and, and I described the surgery on them. And I mean, without me even describing or telling how she's come out of that surgery, they're going to tell me about their back surgery. They're going to tell me about their back and their pains and their hurts. And I'm like, I, I don't want to be rude, but I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> this is about my wife, and I'm talking about her. I've uh, often, as a, as a pastor, I make those hospital visits, and uh, I'm, I'm talking with that 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 patient, and I want to share scripture with them and pray with them, and 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 if there are other family members in the room, as I'm asking about their their gallbladder, or if I'm asking about their heart, I mean, there's always somebody in the room that wants to tell me about their heart, about their gallbladder, and I'm like, hey, this isn't about you. This is about the person that's laying here in the hospital bed. But there are always those people where the focus and the attention has to be on them. And that's an indicator that, you know what? Man, you need some love. You, you need to be set free. You, you need to, to experience this love that is being self-forgetful. I mean, you just can't get over your own importance. And then he not only uses this word boast, but then he says love is not arrogant. Arrogant. Well, arrogance is that attitude that is behind the boasting. That's what Paul's referring to there. It's the attitude that is behind the boasting, right? It, means, it literally means to be puffed up, right? You're just inflating your own importance. And then he uses a third word there when he says love is not rude in verse number five. In other words, think about this. If I feel more important than you, and if I feel like that being nice to you doesn't benefit me, I don't really get out of anything personally if I'm nice to you, then guess what? I don't care, and I may just perhaps be rude because I don't really care. I'm not going to show respect to you, just rude. We, we know that we see that often in restaurants. I've been with people eating lunch or eating a breakfast, and I notice how they treat the people who are waiting. 
the waitress or the person that's, that's serving the table. If they're ugly, if they're rude, then they're just so puffed up about themselves and because they feel like that there's no benefit to themselves and how they treat the other person, then they treat them with no respect at all. And that's just simply, again, that is just a focus upon yourself and that is not what Paul is saying of what love is. And then he says this, I mean, just my life lacks love when I can't give up my way. When I can't give up my way. That's what it means there in verse number five. Love does not insist on its own way. Some translations, again, render it self-seeking. I mean, they're just, they're all about themselves. What was happening in the church in Corinth is there were a lot of hard-headed, strong personalities, and Paul actually indicates that they would just uh, begin to argue among themselves, and they just would talk and talk and talk, almost like a church filibuster. They just would talk and talk and talk in order to get their opinions across, and um, the church was just filled with self-centered people. Here's what I want you to think about. There were lots of letters written to the churches. There were a lot of letters written to the churches. We have just a handful of them. Why did God make sure that this letter was preserved for you and for me? It's because of this truth. Ego, pride, self-centeredness are all universal. Cultures change languages change, but you know what? Ego is always there. So if you and I were to be honest, if you and I were to say, you know what, pastor, I struggle. I struggle with this. I mean, it's a reality in my life. Then how do I change? Well, here's what you have to do. You have to let your heart be captivated and changed by the only one who actually lived this out, and that is Jesus. Jesus is the only one, as he walked this earth, he lived this. As a matter of fact, let's just think about it for a moment. Let's think about the Lord of love. The Lord of love. What is it? What does the life of Jesus show us about this self-forgetful kind of love? Well, you got to take your Bible and find John chapter 13. John chapter 13, this is just before Jesus And his followers are about to participate in the Passover feast. John chapter 13. Remember, these are the men that he's traveled with for for three and a half years. He cares about them. He loves them. And in John chapter 13, let's just skip down to verse number 3. John 13, 3, and Jesus knew that the Father had put all these things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God, verse number 4, and so he got up from the mill, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Of all the people in that room, Who deserved to have their feet washed? Jesus. But he chose to wash their feet. To wash their feet. I mean, listen, when your identity is secure in God, it frees you to serve. 
I mean, this is important because so often the way we treat people actually shows our own insecurities. And Jesus didn't need the disciples to boost his identity because his identity was not tied to, to, to their opinion to him. Here's the principle that I want you to get this morning. The more confident I am in my Father's love, the more free I am to love you. When we think about, when I see people and how they treat other people. It's all tied to their own insecurities. But you and I can ever come to this place knowing that we are born again, we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. I have been accepted in the beloved. His spirit lives inside of me. My identity is not in what other people think about me. It's not how many likes I get on social media. But when I know that my identity is secured and what he says about me, then I am free to love you. I am free to serve you. I mean, again, Jesus, his identity was secure in how the Father saw him and the assignment the Father sent him. And so he was free to serve those disciples. There's another picture. It's found in Matthew's on that very same night. Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse number 36. That very same night, this is after they celebrated the meal, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he says, said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful, and he began to be troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here. And then he says to them, uh, stay here and watch. And after going a little bit farther, he fell on his face and he prayed. He said, my father, if it's all possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That very same night, the Bible says that Jesus knows that he's about to face the cross. He's about to face this separation from the father. See, oftentimes people think that when he was grieving that night in prayer, uh, praying with such intensity, the Bible says those tiny capillaries in his, in his skull begin to break and he's sweating drops of blood. Uh, most people think that when he was praying with such intensity, when he was saying, Father, let this cup pass from me, that he was referring to the cross and the, the nails and the beatings. And I think that's certainly part of it. But I think that he was grieving over the separation that he would experience between him and the Father. And he, what did he say? He says, if there's, if there's another way, if there's another approach. But then he says what? Not my will, but your will be done. When you are secure in your identity, when you have experienced the love of God, you have known it, you have experienced it, your heart is filled with it, you are free to say, watch this, not my will, but your will be done. You're able to set aside your will. And so what does it look like? What does it look like when I am loving, when I have experienced love my focus, my energy is not on myself, but it's on God and others. What does that life of love look like? 
Well, let's, let's think about it briefly. The life of love. When I allow my heart to be filled with love, I mean, I live a life that, number one, genuinely celebrates and promotes your success. I mean, wouldn't that be great? I mean, I'm just so confident in who I am in Christ. Listen, if you get a new house, you get a new job, you get promoted, you, have, you experience success, you know what I'm able to do? I'm able to celebrate with you. I'm able, I'm able to rejoice with you. You know why? Because I love you and I celebrate with you. And my heart is filled with love. Uh, also, number two, that kind of life, it's a life that avoids calling attention to my accomplishments. Here's a verse you ought to write down in your notes. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse number two. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. Listen, I'm so focused on you, I don't think about whether or not you acknowledge what I've done or what I've accomplished. My focus and my attention is on you when I'm living a life of love. Number three, a life of love is a, is a life that gives time and attention to those who, who have nothing to offer me. Have you ever thought about or considered who Jesus hung out with? Think about this. Who did he spend so much of his time with? The, uh, the lame, the diseased, the woman caught in immorality, the blind, the leper. He, he hung out with those people who, who actually worked for the Roman government that people hated. And so what could they do for him? Nothing. There was nothing they could offer him, but he cared about them. He spent time with them. Think about this truth. Isn't it true that so often we ignore or we avoid those people who, who really have very little to offer us? But when our hearts are in the right place and we've experienced his love We've received his love and we've, our focus is on him so that, so that he can love in us and through us. Then guess what? Then we're able to give attention to those people that, that honestly we can get very little from. That's what that life looks like. It genuinely celebrates and promotes other success. It avoids calling attention to your own accomplishment. It gives time and attention to those who have nothing to offer. It, listen, it takes joy in doing the dirty jobs, like washing feet, like changing toilets, uh, cleaning toilets, because of I know who I am and who I belong to. I, I, I'm, I'm able to do even the, the worst of jobs, like changing diapers, but not just changing babies' diapers, but even changing the diapers of the elderly. It, it looks like this. It looks like me holding my agenda loosely. That's what it looks like. To, to, to experience and know the love of Christ is to hold my agenda loosely. What did Jesus say? Not my will, but your will be done. 
And so it's, it doesn't always have to be your way. What does it look like when we lack love? It has to be our way. It has to be about us. The attention has to be on me. What we can determine in a church is when Pastor David stands up and says, hey, you know what? Man, our church is growing. We have so many babies. I think last Sunday morning there were like five little babies. We need folks to help care for the babies. We, we need folks that are, that, are, that are willing to change some diapers. Helping the children's ministry, the student ministry, the, the parking ministry. Last Sunday, the parking lot was full. But so often when we have to just kind of beg and coerce and bribe people to serve in the church, it's because sometimes there's an attitude of, well, I'm too important. Or my time is more valuable than your time. My time is more precious than your time. But I know this, I know that when I am secure in my identity and I know who I am, and whose I am, and I know the price that was paid for me, and I know truly what I deserve, and yet God, by his grace, he has loved me, and he has forgiven me, and he lives inside of me, and therefore, as my focus is on him, then he fills my heart with joy, and love, and care, and concern, and so that, you know what, it's not about my agenda, and it's not about me. But it's about others. Even those who can't do anything for me, I still care. When we spend all of our time loving ourselves, it shrivels your soul. Self-love shrivels the soul. But when you say, Christ, fill me with your love so that you can love through me, those around me, then you're feeding the soul. And then you're living a life of being self-forgetful because you've received it and his love is flowing through you. I pray for downtown church. I pray for Alan that Alan would be willing to say, it's not my agenda, it's not about me, but it's about him and those who he died for. Amen? Let's bow our heads together. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask our band to come, and they're going to lead us in, in worship. Pastor David's going to be here. Pastor Jacob's going to be here as well. Love to pray with you. The altar is open. It may be that you would say, hey, pastor, we're with you. Pastor, count us in to serve you. I believe as God is building the church here in downtown Mobile, it's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of us serving, all of us saying, Lord, I want to make a difference. Use me, use my marriage, use my family. Lord, fill my heart with your love. Let's stand together as I pray. Heavenly Father, in these next moments, I pray that we just respond in obedience to the word that you've given us. So often, Lord, our struggle daily is with self. 
our own pride, our own egos, where the focus and the attention has to be on us. And it has to be what we want and it has to be our agenda. And we thank you for those very strong words of Paul that says, that's not what love does. Love is not prideful. True love, real love, is not, it's not arrogant. It's not self-serving. It's not rude. It's not boastful. But love pushes aside agendas. True love, the love of Christ, is a love that says, not my will, your will be done. That when our hearts are filled with, with your love, then we're free. We're, we're free to love others. We're free to serve. We're free to change diapers. Clean toilets. Even a, a willingness to do the dirtiest of jobs. And we're so focused on others. We don't really even care if we if we get attention. So Lord, I pray. I pray for this pastor. I pray for this staff. I pray for this, our church here in downtown Mobile. That as others come to this church and as we seek to reach out to this city, as they would see a church that truly loves, truly loves. So God, do a fresh work in us. Even this morning, do a fresh work as we surrender ourselves to you. In Jesus' name.